You're listening to Bible Prophecy Daily, a weekday podcast where Bible prophecy matters and matters greatly. Greetings, fellow believers in our Lord Jesus Christ. In this episode, I will give a brief synopsis of the nation of Israel and its role in the plan of God for the human race. But to do that, I need to look briefly at the history of mankind. This study will not answer the question, why? That is answered through a study of the angelic conflict, the conflict between God and Satan, And that's just a a wee bit more detailed and lengthy for anything but a multi-part episode. So to begin, uh, Adam and Eve were created and designed to radiate the righteousness and love of God. Uh, That is to represent his viewpoint and policy for all creatures in the universe. But when they committed the personal sin of disobedience to God and ate from the tree, they short-circuited that design and gained a sinful nature. That sin nature would then be passed on to all their children. Everyone born from the seed of Adam comes into the world with a sin nature and with a propensity for various thoughts and expressions of sin. Jeremiah 17.9 describes it like this. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? And Jesus taught it in Mark 7. For from within, out of the heart of men, come all the evil thoughts and actions. So not only do we all have a sin nature, but we are prone to do all kinds of sinful things throughout our lives. And it's because of sin that all people are separated from God and in need of a Savior, because the penalty of sin is spiritual death, and that is separation from God. But God still greatly loved Adam and Eve, and indeed all of their progeny for that matter. So because of his great love for all of mankind and not wanting for anyone to be separated from him, he provided the promise that a savior would come into the world and redeem man from the penalty of sin. And so he proclaimed the first gospel message to Adam and Eve through the promise of Genesis 3.15 and a lot of teaching that went along with that Uh, around the institution of the animal sacrifice. Basically, that in order to be reconciled to God and not suffer an eternity of separation from him, everyone must personally trust in God's promise of a Savior. That is, trust and depend on the fact that God will most certainly save from the penalty of sin all who believe. Um, Then the entirety of God's plan for the human race basically revolves around that salvation promise, uh, bringing the Savior into the world and ending once and for all the presence of sin and evil in the universe. And in order to communicate this salvation promise to the world, God designed to use what Paul called a proclaimer. Uh, As he wrote, how shall they hear without a proclaimer? As I taught in a previous episode, in order to proclaim the good news of salvation, God first used specific individuals, then the nation of Israel, and then the church. Uh, But now I need to change the focus. 
After the flood, beginning with Noah's son, Shem, God began to refine the human gene pool in order to bring a qualified savior into the world. So in about 1880 BC, or, or to be exact, 2108 years after the creation of Adam, God began to manufacture a new race of people different from the races that were created at the Babel judgment 350 years earlier. God began with Abraham, fine-tuned the new race with Isaac, and completed the process with the birth of Jacob. This new race of people are basically characterized by possessing the genes of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. At the beginning, they were called Hebrews, and then later they became known as Jews. Uh, so then, beginning with Abraham, God gave specific promises to that new race, which is called the Abrahamic Covenant. This involves land, seed, and blessing promises that were passed on to both Isaac and Jacob. Now, through the seed promise, Abraham has promised that his descendants would become a multitude of people and a great nation. But it's also, and more importantly, through that seed promise that the qualified Savior would come into the world. The land and the kingdom promises, they apply to the entire race and, of course, later to the nation. These promises will be totally fulfilled in the Davidic earthly kingdom. They were never taken away from the nation or transferred to the church. There, there's no biblical basis for the theory of replacement theology. Now, of course, in the earthly kingdom, all the Gentiles will benefit under the uh, umbrella of Israel's promotion. And, of course, the church also will have a unique place in that future kingdom. Now, however, the blessing promise applies only to individuals as they do two things. First, personally enter into a spiritual relationship with God through faith in that messianic promise that was originally given to Adam and Eve at Genesis 3.15. This is basically summed up by the statement, whoever will call upon, that is, trust in, the character of the Lord will be saved. Now, Old Testament salvation was always through faith, looking forward to the fulfillment of the Redeemer promise. And of course, New Testament salvation is also through faith, looking back to the historical character and work of Jesus, who is the uh, promised Redeemer. The second thing, in order to experience true happiness and fulfillment here on earth, we must live according to the standards of God's kingdom of light. As Job stated, by your light, I walked through darkness. Uh, Isaiah 2, 5, um, he speaks to the people of Israel. He says, come house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. And in the New Testament, we have 1 John 1, 7. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship one with the other. Solomon summed it up at Ecclesiastes 12. The conclusion, when everything has been heard, is reverence God and keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. Jesus said, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and so that your joy may be made full. Now, details of what it means to, to walk in the light. Uh, can be found all throughout the Bible, but some passages that you might want to look up, Psalm 15, 34, 37, Isaiah 1, 17, and then 1 Peter 3, 8 through 12. Moving along now, we all know that the family of Jacob, the 12 sons of Israel, ended up living in Egypt 
And while there, even though enslaved, they grew into a multitude of people. And then in about 1441 BC, 25, 13 years after Adam, God eagled that multitude out of Egypt and created a new nation. At that time, he gave uh, an evangelistic commission to the nation, uh, basically to represent the standards of his kingdom of light and the uh, promise of salvation from sin. He told them at Exodus 9-6, you will be a kingdom of priests and a special nation. Uh, Psalm 67 states, God be gracious to us and bless us so that your way may be known upon the earth, your salvation among all nations. And as Solomon prayed concerning the nation's faithfulness, so that all the peoples of the earth may know your character and reverence you. Second Chronicles 6.33. God summarized it at Jeremiah 13. For as the undergarment clings to the waist of a man, so I made the entire household of Israel and the entire household of Judah cling to me, so that they might be my people for renown, for praise, and for glory. Now, in order for the nation to fulfill being God's representative, it would depend on their faithfulness and obedience. As God stated at Exodus 19.5, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. And as time progressed, there were many highs, but also many lows in the nation's function as God's evangelistic agent. Through Joshua's victories in the time of the judges, through David's greatness and shortcomings, through the glory of Solomon's wisdom and the infamy of his stupidity, through the rebellion of the northern tribes <clears throat> and the good and the bad kings of Judah. Sadly, the basic summary of the nation's history was failure. Jeremiah recorded God's evaluation at chapter 7. On the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, I commanded them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. And you shall walk entirely in the way which I command you, so that it may go well for you. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but walked by their own advice and in the stubbornness of their evil hearts. And they went backward and not forward. Since the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt until this day, I have sent you all my servants and the prophets, sending them daily, again and again. Yet they did not listen to me or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. They did more evil than their fathers. Well, it was because of their consistent disobedience that God had to discipline the nation. And he did it in stages that can be designated as five cycles of discipline, which can be found at Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28. So they failed consistently for 490 years. From uh, 3024 AH to 34. 520 AHH stands for Anno Hominus in the year of man. That's how many years it has been since the creation of Adam. So they failed consistently until they reached a point where God brought them to the point of having to go through the fifth or final cycle of discipline, which is removal from the land and from the national function as his representatives. That disobedience is basically summarized by the failure to keep the sabbatical years of Leviticus 25. During that time as a nation, they failed to be God's representative on the earth. Again, a summary passage at 2 Chronicles 36. Yet the Lord, the God of their father, sent word to them again and again by his messengers, 
because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they continually mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets, until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people, until there was no remedy. So he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, and they burned the house of God and broke down the wall of Jerusalem, and burned all its fortified buildings with fire and destroyed all its valuable articles. He took into exile those who had escaped from the sword to Babylon, and they were servants to him and to his sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days of its desolation, it kept the Sabbath until 70 years were complete. <clears throat> so as the text indicates, that national discipline was through the 70-year Babylonian captivity from 605 BC to 536, or 3520 to 3589 AH. I keep making reference to these dates because it's going to be uh, significantly important a little bit later. This discipline on the nation amounted to one year for each of the 70 sabbatical year periods that were ignored. Each period was seven years long. It amounts to 490 years. So during the captivity in Babylon for 70 years, the land enjoyed its Sabbaths. The nation was impotent as God's representative on the earth. The temple was destroyed. The people were servants to Babylon. And there was no national representation of God's kingdom. Uh, just as it was prophesied at Deuteronomy 28:37, And you will become an object of horror, a song of mockery, and an object of taunting among all the peoples where the Lord drives you. As uh, it's indicated in Hosea 4.6, they were rejected from being God's priest. But God still had a special plan for the nation of Israel. Jeremiah 24 tells us, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Like these good figs, so I will regard as good the captives of Judah, whom I have sent out of this place into the land of the Chaldeans. For I will set my eyes on them for good, and I will bring them back to this land. And I will build them up and not overthrow them, and I will plant them and not uproot them. I will also give them a heart to know me, for I am the Lord, and they will be my people, and I will be their God, for they will return to me wholeheartedly. And so, after the 70 years of captivity, God brought the people of Israel back from Babylon. Uh, these were people from all 12 tribes, and they became citizens of the restored nation of Judah under Nehemiah, Ezra, Joshua, and Zerubbabel, and the prophets Haggai and Zechariah. This return to the land was initiated through the decree of Cyrus in 536 B.C., 3589 A.H. The number of years assigned to the chronology involves a technical study. I'm aware of the apparent discrepancy that measures 483 years from 536 B.C. to the arrival of the Messiah in about 30 A.D. It's easily resolved, but not really an issue for this episode. In the meantime, think of the chronology as going 483 years from 3589 A.H. to 4071 A.H. Or if you want to make an adjusted uh, B.C. date, you can make it 454 B.C. Uh, to 30 A.D. That's how the chronology would work out. Now, not only did God restore them to the land and to the status of being a nation, but he also basically gave back the 490 years that they wasted by not observing those sabbatical year protocols. That's what the 70 weeks prophecy of Daniel 9 is all about. At Daniel 9, the nation is promised 490 years. It says that 490 years are decreed for the people of Israel and the holy city. The purpose of the 490 years is so that through the completion of that time period, 
all the promises that God gave to Abraham would be fulfilled. And of course, through the promises to Abraham, all the Gentiles will likewise be blessed in a variety of ways. As mentioned by others in some previous episodes, this passage lends itself to a variety of interpretations. Hopefully, what I teach will be helpful. The purpose for the 490 years is indicated by the use of the six infinitives in verse 24. There are three things that deal with the presence of sin in the human race and Israel. First one is to finish the transgression. It's interesting that there is specifically a definite article in front of the word <clears throat> pesha to indicate a specific category of sin. It refers to Israel's national sin. It will be brought to completion. That is, it will uh, complete the ultimate and final expression of Israel's rebellion against God, which will end up being the rejection of their Messiah. The second factor with regard to sin is to make an end of sin. Uh, this means to make it so that personal sin is no longer a salvation issue because all sins will be paid for by the Savior. There's only one sin that Jesus did not pay for, and that's the sin of unbelief. The third factor is to make atonement for iniquity. Uh, the word iniquity refers to the sin nature. So the sacrifice of the Messiah on the cross will cover the sinful nature of man and provide a reconciliation to God. Uh, for those who trust in Jesus. So all factors of sin will be dealt with through the uh, redemption advent of the Messiah. Now, there are also three things that deal with the promised blessings for Israel's future. First one, to bring in everlasting righteousness. That is to establish the Messiah's righteous reign in David's earthly kingdom. Second one is to seal up vision and profit. Uh, that refers to the fulfillment of all the promises and all the prophecies not only for Israel, but for the entire human race. And the third thing is to anoint the most holy, and that is to build and dedicate the temple in the earthly Davidic kingdom. Now, to get back to the history. The nation thrived under the wings of Persia. They were allowed to build their temple and worship according to the Mosaic law. And even though still basically a subservient nation, it functioned once again as God's representative on the earth to proclaim his standards and the gospel message. Although they encountered a few bumps and snags from a few troublesome Samaritans, they eventually rebuilt the temple within 49 years. The worship protocol was reinstated, as Nehemiah indicated at uh, chapter 13. Uh, Thus I purified them from everything foreign and appointed duties for the priests and the Levites, each in his task. And it is through the proper and faithful observance of the temple rituals that all the peoples of the earth may know your character and reverence you, as Solomon indicated at Second Chronicles 6.33. The testimonial impact of the nation under Persia and Greece is uh, shown at Zechariah 8. Then the word of the Lord of armies came to me, saying, The Lord of armies says this, The fast of the fourth, the fast of the fifth, the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth months will become joy, jubilation, and cheerful festivals for the house of Judah. So love, truth, and peace. The Lord of Armies says this, It will yet turn out that peoples will come, that is, the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city will go to another, saying, Let's go at once to plead for the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of Armies. I also will go. So many peoples and mighty nations will come to seek the Lord of Armies in Jerusalem and to plead for the favor of the Lord. The Lord of Armies says this, in those days, ten people from all the nations will grasp the garment of a Jew, saying, Let's go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. 
Now, during the time from Alexander's death and the arrival of Jesus, the nation continued to have ups and downs in their testimonial impact. There were still periods of national failure, and eventually the nation was ripe for discipline once again, as is prophesied by Zechariah at chapter 11. This is what the Lord my God says. Pasture the flock doomed to slaughter. Those who buy them, slaughter them and go unpunished. And each of those who sell them says, Blessed be the Lord, for I have become rich. And their own shepherds have no compassion for them. For I will no longer have compassion for the inhabitants of the land, declares the Lord. But behold, I will let the people fall, each into another's power and into the power of his king. And they will crush the land, and I will not rescue them from their power. That basically describes the situation in the Jesus generation, the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, the leadership of the nation oppressing the people with no spiritual reality in their own lives. And so when the time arrived for the Messiah to come into the world, as the group of wise men observed, for we have seen his star in the east, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law. And as Gabriel announced to Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. So after 483 years from the decree to restore the nation, in about 30 AD, the Messiah formally presented himself to the nation as he rode into Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey, fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah 9.9. The nation's leadership and the people as a whole should have embraced him, but they did not. Of course, this was all according to the foreknowledge and plan of God. Just as Jesus later said to the disciples, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all the things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And as Peter said to the people of Israel, This man, Jesus, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. The recognized leadership of the nation rejected him. Matthew 27, 1 tells us that in the morning, the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And the assembled citizens of the nation rejected him when they said at Matthew 27, let his blood be on us and on our children. So once again, God had to reject and discipline his chosen people. And Jesus actually cried over the people in the city. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who have been sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And you were not willing. And now, because you did not recognize the time of your visitation, the days will come upon you when your enemies will put up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground and throw down your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another. Behold. Your house is being left to you desolate. And so the city and the temple were destroyed. And the people of Israel were dispersed throughout the world. Now, at the time that Jesus presented himself to the nation and was rejected, there were still seven years remaining to complete the promised 490. But because the people of Israel rejected Israel, uh, rejected Jesus, God chose to basically stop the clock for the time that was allotted to the nation. That clock has been stopped since about 30 AD, which makes for a gap of years until God will start that clock uh, at some time in, uh, in the future. And so Israel's time of discipline has been ongoing to the present hour. 
However, it's God's plan to start the clock again and continue with the seven years yet remaining to fulfill Daniel's prophecy. At some time in the future, the clock will be started again. When, according to the wisdom and timing of God's plan, he will allow a benevolent world leader to establish the seven-year peace experiment prophesied at Daniel 9.27. The prince who is to come will establish a covenant with the many for one week. It is a specific seven-year covenant designed to uh, be an experiment, as it were, in peace and religious toleration. Uh, but since 30 AD and to the present hour, the nation, as an entity, is in a condition of blindness and hardness of heart. Paul wrote about this with great sorrow and ever-increasing grief. He called it a partial hardening at Romans 11 and described it as a veil over the heart at 2 Corinthians 3. But this condition applies only to the nation, not to individuals. For Paul also wrote that whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Every person, whether Jew or Gentile, is equally able to comprehend and accept the gospel through the convicting ministry of the Holy Spirit. For when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And as Paul declared, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. John summarized it in his gospel at John uh, chapter 1. Jesus was in the world, and the world came into the being through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not accept him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, that is, to those who believe in his name. And that brings me to another facet of God's discipline on the nation of Israel. By the very nature of the discipline, the nation was also temporarily removed from its function as the representative of God on the earth. The responsibility to be the steward over God's kingdom of light was taken away. As Jesus said at Matthew 21, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation producing the fruit of it. This does not mean that the promise of a physical kingdom would be taken away. It refers to the function of representing the kingdom of God, his authority, his viewpoint, and his policy. That is what it means uh, as we apply the principle of Hosea 4.6, because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from being my priest. But God never leaves himself without a witness on the earth. The Bible tells us that God desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And he does not want anyone to perish, but for all to come to a change of mind. The invitation at Romans 10 is for everyone. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But of course, they must hear and believe. And a proclaimer must be uh, provided to give them the information they need in order to believe the gospel. As Paul wrote, how shall they hear without a proclaimer? And today, that proclamation, whether verbal or written, is provided through the evangelistic ministry of the church. So although the nation of Israel was temporarily removed from being the proclaimer, God has created a new proclaimer, a new evangelistic agent. Jesus described it as his church when he told Peter and the disciples that it would be upon himself, the rock, that he would build his church. And before he ascended into heaven, he gave them the great evangelistic commission. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to follow all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and as far as the remotest parts of the earth. As we saw earlier, Jesus told the nation that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation producing the fruit of it. That new nation is the church. Peter summarizes it at 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellent character of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so everyone who believes becomes a part of that new priestly nation. It's comprised of both Jew and Gentile. As Paul indicated at Romans 9, even us whom he called, not only out from the Jews, but also out from the Gentiles. And as he wrote at Ephesians 2, Jesus made both Jew and Gentile into one new person. He reconciled them both in one body to God through the cross. And he came and proclaimed peace to the Gentiles and peace to the Jews. And now both Jew and Gentile are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord a dwelling of God by the Spirit. This was prophesied in the Old Testament at Deuteronomy 32, Isaiah 65, uh, Hosea 1 and chapter 2. Now the physical blessings for the nation were delayed until the completion of the day of the Lord's judgments. The spiritual blessings are maintained and provided to both Jew and Gentile. As Jesus said, I am come that you might have life and have abundance. Now, the church will continue to function as God's representative on the earth. That is, as the steward or administrator of God's kingdom of light uh, and the gospel promise until the second coming of Jesus. He told them at Matthew 10:23, For truly I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. This promise was basically extended to the entire church through the disciples as the uh, representatives and foundation layers of the church. Now, as I mentioned earlier, at some time in the future, God is going to give back to Israel the seven years still left of the 490 that promised to Daniel 9. But before the nation can begin to officially serve as God's representatives on the earth, the Jewish people will go through a refining process. Part of that process will be the great tribulation brought upon them by Satan and the beast of Revelation 13, which uh, will begin at the midpoint of that seven-year period. The church will still be on the earth at that time and be the proclaimer of the gospel, especially to the people of Israel. Just as Jesus said, you will not finish with the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. As a result, many Jews will begin to realize that Jesus was indeed their promised Messiah and begin to seek for a deeper understanding of the Old Testament messianic prophecies. Then, according to the wisdom and timing of God's plan, that tribulation will be cut short from its expected duration of 1260 days. At that time, the Lord will return and rapture all believers. That is, he will use the angels to gather all of his elect ones out from the earth into heaven. And at that time, a specific number of 144,000 Jews will finally recognize that Jesus is most certainly the promised Messiah and they will trust in him as Savior. 
These will basically become the faithful remnant of the nation of Israel and will begin to serve as God's official representative on the earth during the many months remaining for the completion of the seven years. During that time, after Christ's return, God's final wrath will be poured out upon the earth through the uh, trumpet and bold judgments. And then, after the Battle of Armageddon, and after the entire world is brought to its knees, Jesus will establish his earthly reign in fulfillment of the promises made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the promises made to the nation of Israel. All uh, unbelievers will be removed from the earth, and only believers will go alive into that earthly kingdom. Everyone within the nation of Israel will be a believer, and that will fulfill the promise stated by Paul at Romans 11, Therefore, all Israel will be saved. God's time of discipline on Israel will be totally removed, and the nation will be the hub for promoting God's righteousness and God's love for 1,000 years. Isaiah 12 tells us, Then you will say on that day, I will give thanks to you, Lord, for although you were angry with me, your anger is turned away, and you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. Therefore, you will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation. And on that day, you will say, give thanks to the Lord, call on his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Make them remember that his name is exalted. Praise the Lord in song, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known throughout the earth. Rejoice and shout for joy, you inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. In the meantime, in anticipation of the prophesied progress of God's plan for Israel, and indeed the whole world, we of the church should heed Peter's exhortation. Since all these things are to be altered in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and promoting the coming of the day of God? But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him spotless and blameless in the sphere of peace and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Thanks for listening to Bible Prophecy Daily. We hope you learned something valuable today. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss an episode. 